All right, here we are, podcast 15, well into the double digits now. Uh, as mentioned last time, we had some feedback about doing some more info on jobs and doing some interviews. So today we're going to look at interviewing business, my business partner, Ken, uh, one of the plank holders for Ronan Rescue. He's been with us since the original 2003 company through a couple renditions. And we're just going to be talking about a few different things here in regards to public versus private, a little bit about veteran stuff, uh, a little bit about some devices, a little bit about influences in the uh, rope rescue environment. So to start with, Ken, background, when did you start playing on rope? For me, playing on rope probably started during my enlistment in the Marines. Uh, after that, once I got hired on the fire department was probably my first exposure to rope in a rescue type uh, aspect and thought that was kind of cool. Uh, that was early on in the fire academy. So the first opportunity I had to take advantage of our fire department's technical rescue program, uh, I jumped aboard that in, I believe it was around 2000 and uh, maintained active in there until about 2011. Okay. So you said active in there until about 2011, although I do recall you taking the training with the fire department not too long ago, so you're back in as an instructor and program coordinator with that now? We have a limited lifespan. They tend to rotate people in and out. Um, I was able to maintain about 11 years at uh, one of the technical rescue halls and then actually followed it up with another three years at the second technical rescue hall. So it was a little bit over 11 years, a bit of a hiatus, and then most recently back again as an instructor. Okay, so that brings up the first question. Technical rescue on the fire department. Leave the teams together for the duration until people transfer out or want to go and you know do engine company jobs or get promoted out to lieutenant or captain or mix them up every two to three years. What do you think? I think one of the biggest problems, I think there's some pros and cons on either side. One of the pros obviously being the skill fade factor and the ability to work well as a team. Uh, once you get that team working efficiently together, that cohesive unit uh, to tear it apart every two to three years just for the sake of doing so seems counterproductive. Uh, keeping a team together, allowing those uh, skills to, to uh, grow and, and, and mature and over time perhaps rotating one or two people out of a team so they have some continuity and transference of that knowledge I think is essential. Uh, shaking it up every year completely uh, it, it just breaks it breaks down the team and it does definitely affects morale. Okay, so fire department, tech rescue, staying on that topic, we employ a lot of firefighters on their days off. Back in the good old 90s and some of the bigger unionized days of the fire service, there was a lot of discussion about the fire department owned that training. And should you be able to use that on your side job? And so what are your thoughts in regards to that? Well, I can remember early on when we started down this road and we started getting some questions from insurance companies about what makes us able to, to do what we say we can do. And we started as a company looking at the due diligence of that and tracking down training. And we had a mix based on which fire department or who did training where where a lot of fire departments will send their instructors to a notable 
education facility to gain that education and then train within their fire department sort of in-house OJT to the same NFPA standards and the same training standards, but there's not really the paperwork to back it up. Okay. So with that, you've probably seen some changes then in the rope rescue environment. When you guys started, what system were you using? That's the funny thing. There's, there has to be some change. It's a bit of a, a funny subject with a lot of guys. But for us, yeah, I, I remember when we started this program, well, when I started with the program at my department, it was still brake racks. Um, there was some use of a tandem prosthetic belay for a backup sign, so a line, so obviously dedicated main, dedicated backup. Uh, we transitioned into the 540 device, which had a guys had a love-hate relationship with. And uh, we've just recently now, in the process of trans and 12 and a half mil rope, and we're just recently now transferring everything over into 11 mil and, and twin tension systems. Okay, so with your twin tension systems, what device did you guys choose for that? We ended up settling on the MPD. Why? Uh, that's a good question. It was brought up, brought into play. I think the simplicity of the device, uh, I think the seeds were planted uh, by a select group of people to look at this device in anticipation of uh, twin tension systems down the road. So we did use the MPD with the 540, uh, still currently do as we're transitioning to 11. Uh, again, for the simplicity probably. Okay, so 12 and a half versus 11 in the fire service. Is there a benefit one way or another? I mean, there's still a lot of fire services, the vast majority of them, that are running 12 and a half millimeter rope. And, you know, some are now moving to 11. As we know, overseas is a lot of 11. Search and Rescue North America is fairly much on 11. Rope Access is on 11. Should the fire department be looking at 11 or they should be staying with 12 and a half? I think the whole fight between 11 and 12 millimeter is all based, and again, if you run the numbers, and I hate to use the word ignorance, but it does come from a not a clear understanding of what we need versus what we think we need. Overkill always seems to be where we head to CYA, and for some reason that millimeter and a half uh, always seems to err on the 12 and a half side in the fire service. Can we go to 11? Sure, we can go to 11. If it's, a, if it's what we're willing to tolerate, well, we can accept that. The flip side there too is we're saving weight. We're saving a lot of size. Um, we've, you know, come from stainless steel three and a half inch pulleys down to little aluminum pulleys. So anywhere we can save weight we can save size, we can be more efficient in what we do, we come ahead. Okay. Now, do you have some counter arguments when people say, well, we got the big red truck, it shows up. Do we really need to save weight? Does it matter? Weight efficiency, again, I, I think it's a it's something you can debate to death. I don't I don't know if there is one true answer. And a lot of it is going to come down to preference, preference of the team, personal preference. If I could get away with carrying 20 pounds instead of 40 pounds, I'm going to carry 20 pounds because I can carry it that much longer. I mean, from my point of view, I just look at it as being interoperable with other agencies that are already out there, rope access people, things like this that you're going to find. And a lot of the gear 
is designed around 11 mil rope because that's where the majority of the world's market is as opposed to the 12 and a half. Um, and now we have manufacturers that are coming out with G-rated 11 millimeter ropes, which might make this whole conversation moot in another 200 years. Very true. And I, everything seems to be pushing toward that 11 millimeter world. Your department yeah. went early. A lot of the local fire departments did go earlier. Uh, we're a little bit dragging our butts. And I think as time goes on, we'll see less and less 12 out there as 11 becomes the new norm. Unfortunately, as 11 becomes the new norm, we'll be down to 10 and a half and the game goes on and on. How do we be, where do we find that or we tow that fine line between efficiency and, uh, you know, and, and risk? Yeah, I have to apologize for all the background noise. Apparently people are going in and out of our door downstairs at a phenomenal rate. Um, so with the fire department, public versus private rescue. I mean, obviously you own a rescue company do a lot of training, but you also do private rescue services. Should rescue services be a public domain thing? Should this be a 911 service? Or should private industry have the influence in it that we do, for instance, in BC, where all, basically all confined space rescue is done privately. Some of the high angle rescue is done through emergency services. Is there, is that right? I mean, is, are we putting the stake or the, you know, the welfare of our citizens into corporate hands at this point? That's a bit of a loaded question when you're <laughs> talking to guys that own a private rescue provider. Of course, we'd love to see our niche stay protected and always have a need for us and to have just enough competition in it to keep it interesting. Um, having said that, one can also look at it from a taxpayer point of view, uh, especially from a corporate tax point of view from businesses. Uh, where they're going, how much money am I paying in, in property taxes and, and all of this other stuff, uh, services from this municipality, and I'm not even getting the ability to have the city or the municipality provide that rescue obligation to me. Why do I now have to go outside and hire a private rescue provider on top of that? You can almost equate that back to the independent school versus public school system where if you wanted to send your kids to a private or public independent school, you don't get a break in your taxes for that portion of that of your of your property tax still goes and pays the pub, uh, the public school system and you're still yet paying for an independent school education. Same sort of thing uh, from a yeah <laughs> that's a tough one it's because it, you we work in both worlds. Well, I mean, I just think of things, um, we, for people out there, we are on a site, uh, the guys are down underground, not underground, but like a confined space that was in a fairly deep hole when they're building up uh, one of the high rises downtown. And as they were coming out, done for the day, if you remember, someone broke onto that site, yeah. climbed up the tower crane, jumped off to kill themselves. Correct, yeah. First data tenant went on site there, went over there, basically threw up. Um, we had our team on site who were all off-duty fire. They kind of said, hey, you know what, we'll take care of the situation, go back, you, you know, you don't need to deal with this. Our guys dealt with it until local uh, emergency services showed up, turned it over to them. But from a, a point of view of a corporate citizen, you know, okay, social responsibility, corporate social responsibility, of course, I'm going to leave my staff or our staff there 
to deal with that problem, even though theoretically they're off the clock, theoretically I have to pay them, but from a pure business dollars and cents point of view, hey, it's it's 1700 it's you know Fred Flintstone <laughs> he's sliding off the back of the dinosaur at that point in time and some of Barney Rebel falls off too bad right um, now we're now paying for that emergency service that interlude in there you know there is that question is as a as a company are we within our rights to say hey skip it we're leaving this this isn't our problem we're off the clock the social responsibility to say, hey, we're probably the best people here suited to deal with this, so we're going to, and that's what we did. But now having a private company deal with what's a public issue, there is money involved at this point. Yeah, and it's, it's a multifaceted discussion, really. Um, when, you, when you look at it that way as well, you're taking, we, if, if we're employing, career firefighters who have a background in technical rescue and we're using them in the private sector, there is some advantages to doing that as well. We have patient contacts. We're used to seeing a lot of the nasty stuff that, that, that we do on the day job. So when it shows up in the, in the private job, it's, it isn't such a shock. In the, in the call you're talking about, our guys really quite kept their cool and were able to deal with that emergency in a very professional manner. Whereas we had a, a, a first aider uh, for the site there who may, you know, his biggest trauma he's experienced may have been pulling a sliver out of a worker's eye or, or finger or whatever. And all of a sudden he's got this uh, now deceased, recently deceased body on, on his work site, which was, you know, maybe a little bit too much. So there is some advantages absolutely to, to doing that. But again, it that's just one facet of what you're talking about because now you're throwing the, you know, do we just walk off the job at five o'clock? Do we do what's morally and ethically correct? Do we be the professional here and provide that service in the, like you're saying, in the interlude until public can take over? So there are lots of different ways to look at that. And uh, yeah, just. It, it definitely opens up some thought processes. Um, let's change gears here out of the fire department a little bit into veterans. Uh, Ronan runs a lot of veterans programs, uh, you know, once every 12 to 18 months sort of thing, running a veterans program. Do you think the emergency services, because that's what these guys are doing and girls, they're coming in, they're taking training to get into the emergency services. Do you think the emergency services is a good fit for people that are transitioning from the armed forces? I think a lot of veterans that end up in the fire service in the police departments are looking for something they had when they were in the service of their country and a lot of that comes down to the camaraderie the team the 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 work for the team versus working for me um, so I think from that perspective you are getting eight type personalities you're getting people that have initiative, that have drive, that are not scared to get their hands dirty to achieve a, to achieve a goal. Very mission-oriented uh, individuals. Hopefully, individuals that don't require a lot of close supervision. Um, guys that can just get the job done. So I think there's definitely some advantages there. On the flip side, as most of us know, when we did get in to the emergency services side, it's not quite what the military was in a lot of different ways. A lot of it good, and a lot of it a little bit disappointing as well. 
No, absolutely. Um, a few wrap-up type things here. Favorite controlled descent device? I started on the ID. You convinced me years a couple My years back <laughs> to try the rig. I really liked the rig. And then um, we started, the, the, the nice part about being who we are is uh, we get a lot of toys to play with. And um, <laughs> our friend Jack there seems to have poisoned us with the Druid Pro recently. So I, I've got two Druid Pros that I've been playing with a lot of uh, lately. And that's, that's, that's going to be my go-to for the next little while, I think. But uh, yeah. Why? It's different. It's different. <laughs> it's different. It's something just a little bit different. Um, but, I, you know, the go-to will always probably be the rig or the ID. Okay. I mean, it's the Druid Pro for people that haven't used it out there. It's one of my go-tos now as well. A little bit smaller. Yeah, you've got to take it off the rope to rig it. Um, you can do a rescue with it. Works uh, to help belay as well, so it gives you a good belay device as well on things. It's, uh, it's a good little device. All right. I probably could answer this one for you, but I'm going to throw it out anyways. Favorite backup device? I'll stick with the ASAP lock. I'm not going 540 on this one? <laughs> <laughs> the 540, sorry, Kurt, but I don't know. It's not my... I, you know what? When The thing with the 540, it's a lot like a Bluetooth item. If, it work, if it's working, it's working well. If it stops working well... And uh, guys get frustrated with it. Guys haven't really played with it enough to really make it flow and work properly. And uh, they, get, they get really frustrated with it. Okay, so ASAP lock. I mean, why? I mean, everybody that's listening to this probably uses it yeah, as well. So. I, I, I think probably like everyone else. I, I like the ability now that I don't have to, to, I don't have a loose piece in my hand when I'm putting it on a, a rope. You know, it's all it's all inclusive. It's all one piece. Now, I like I like that I can park it up high with the with the with the locks. So, that's probably the main reasons. Okay, favorite carabiner. What are we rocking now? Rock Exotica. We're running Rock, rock D's. D's. Um, yeah, I, you started with the Petzl AMD. I started uh, with the tri locks. The what the ball locks? Okay, the ball locks. And uh, I got pretty big mitts, and I thought those ball locks. The reason I settled or started with those is the first sprat course we we took. Uh, we were using them there, and I thought these are kind of nice beaners, but I very quickly did not like them. So I'm running mainly rock D's, and I have a handful of pirates. Okay. Now, with just for the Petzl one, you didn't like them because of the ball lock, or yeah, the... it was the ball lock. I just had a. I started finding it getting very frustrated with the manipula manipulation of that little ball. Yeah, a little bit of grit and dirt in there, and maybe with the gloves, it just was a pain in the butt. Okay. Favorite rope. Whatever anybody gives us for free. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have a you don't have no, a preference between no, like a no. unicorn or a static current mantle, uh, size preference. I mean, obviously, you know, do you, do you prefer more of like a nine mil or eleven or? I'm sticking with uh, what's uh, most of the stuff we've got now is what unicorn. The PMI unicorn rope. Yeah, uh, we yeah that's I mean that's what I'm comfortable using. I haven't had a whole lot of experience playing with different types. So it's kind of like what we got. Let's work with it. I haven't really found anything I haven't liked. Okay. Except for maybe that steel cable-y stuff that would stand up by itself like a <laughs> circus trick. There you go. Right on. Well, thank you very much for your time and. Uh, We'll have another person on in the next podcast. Thanks for having me. Season's greetings.